You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blessings. Uh, Thank you for the uh, privilege we have to meet here and to have access to your word. Um, There are many places where this is not allowed, and we have the privilege of uh, meeting freely and reading your word without any problems. I pray today that uh, you would speak to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would um, bring comfort through your word and challenge us through your word and also um, remind us of the love, amazing love you have for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So as we said today, we're going to be in spending some time in uh, highlighting joy. We talked about faith, then we talked about hope. Last week we talked about uh, uh, peace, and Kenneth from Redeeming Grace was here. He did a great job talking about peace for us. And today we're going we're gonna to talk about joy, which is represented by the pink candle uh, on, on the season of Advent. Advent is the four Sundays before Christmas, and it's a time uh, of expectation uh, of the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, and also a reminder that one day our Savior will come again just like he did the first time. So our text for this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. So if you have your Bible, please open it with us, and let's go ahead and read it together. Well, not together, but just follow along with me. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through the end, uh, through 20. And it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for for behold, I bring you uh, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praying, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to, to Bethlehem and see this thing that, he, that, that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told uh, them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. So the topic for today is that God decided to announce the gospel of the coming of the Messiah, or the birth of the Messiah, to regular shepherds, nobodies, and people who were overlooked because they understood their condition and that helped them receive the message 
and react or respond in worship and obedience because of the joy that was produced in them by the gospel. And I want to start by highlighting why I said nobodies or regular people. Um, the first thing that Luke chapter 2 says in verse 8 is that there were shepherds out in the field. And these were the chosen people to receive the announcement of the birth of Christ. And of all the possible people that God could have chosen to announce the birth of the Messiah, he chose shepherds. And that is unusual, just to say the least. And let me explain a little bit, a little bit uh, about this. Everything about the birth of Christ is contrary to common sense to us right now, if we think about it, or human logic. But especially the fact that the angels appeared and announced the birth of the Messiah, the King of Kings, to shepherds. Not to influential people, not to powerful people, but to overlooked people, outcasts, because the shepherds were considered not worthy back then. So I want to explain a little bit. Even though being a shepherd in the Old Testament, and if you read the Old Testament, you'll find uh, references to shepherds, and they're positive references. Uh, for instance, God is called a good shepherd as opposed to bad shepherds in, in Jeremiah. Uh, David calls God uh, our shepherd in Psalm 23. We all know this. So in the Old Testament, the shepherding or being a shepherd was something that was regarded as good. It wasn't anything bad. Uh, but as Israel evolved as a civilization and larger cities were established and the Greeks and the Romans began to influence the world, that began to change a little bit. Ta being a shepherd began to take a different reputation. For instance, shepherds were regarded as people who were uneducated because their job was very simple, supposedly, just watch after their flocks. They were also uh, people who were considered uh, smelly or, or, or they didn't shower very often or they smelled, and that's because of their relationship and proximity to animals. They were also considered unclean because they constantly dealt with the death of animals. They were constantly with either uh, an animal that tried to kill their, their sheep or sheep that died for some reason. So they couldn't access the temple as easily. Some people even thought that shepherds were lazy and slow because their job required long periods of waiting. They would take their, their herds out and they, they would just wait for them to graze and, and, and eat. So with the influence of, for instance, the Romans who were a people who were ambitious, they were ambitious for power and wealth. The Romans influenced the culture of the Jews, and, and, and being a shepherd began to be not as good or cool. Uh, and then the Greeks influenced the, 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 the Jews as well with uh, the, the, no, the uh, seeking, for, seeking for knowledge and reasoning. So jobs like shepherding or even fishermen were seen as mundane or unsophisticated. Um, added to this, the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were uh, uh, sects of that day, added human-made uh, laws that marginalized those people even more. So, the shepherds in that time of Jesus were not necessarily the people you and I would choose to announce the coming of the Messiah. 
if we could probably create a parallel today, is as if the birth of the, of the son of the president of the United States was being announced to any laborer on any road of any town. It was similar to that. It makes absolutely no sense. And the Christmas story is totally upside, upside down to our human ways. And not only the announcements to the shepherds, but also that the, the, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the King of Kings, the coming of God himself was done through a regular guy named Joseph, through a regular girl named Mary, both from non-influential cities. They were, they were not from Rome or Athens. They were from a little town, Nazareth. And the king, the Messiah, was born in Bethlehem, a little town that nobody really paid attention to. And not only that, he was born in a place that was not necessarily fit or appropriate for a, for a child to be born. He was placed in a feeding trough after a grueling journey by foot with a pregnant woman on a third trimester of over 100 miles for almost a week. Nothing about the Christmas story makes sense to us in the sense that the King of Kings is coming to earth and he comes in the lowest, most humiliating, simple way possible. The Christmas narrative highlights that God doesn't use the means that you and I think are the best ways to accomplish his purposes. God accomplishes his purposes in ways that make no sense to us. And this is consistent with everything in Scripture since the beginning. In fact, it is consistent because God said to Israel in Deuteronomy 7 that he chose them because they were the smallest of all the, the nations. Deuteronomy 7 Chapter, uh, verses, uh, chapter 7, verses 6 through 8 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. God doesn't do what we do. He doesn't think the way we think. Another example is how God chose David, another shepherd, who was the youngest, the smallest, and the least impressive of all his brothers. And he was chosen to be the beginning of the lineage of the Messiah. And even more interesting is the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1. Have you ever read that? I don't know if you've heard about this before, but the genealogy of, of Jesus in Matthew 1 is so uncommon. Number one, because typically back then, when you uh, trace somebody's genealogy, you only mention men. And Matthew is the first one to add women to the genealogy. Uh, there's, a, there's two genealogies of Jesus, one in Luke chapter 3 and one in Matthew chapter 1. And the, the one in Luke is the typical one, is all the men, the son of that and the son of man and the son of that. But Matthew adds five women of the entire genealogy of Jesus. But the interesting thing is that four of those five women 
were either sinful, Gentile, or had a questionable past. So they were hand-picked women who were not the best women or the most notable women, but they were actually the most questionable women. The first one is Tamar. So if you know the story, she prostituted herself to sleep with her father-in-law, Judah, in order to gain uh, her inheritance. The second one is Rahab, the Gentile prostitute who helped the spies of, of Israel to overcome Jericho. She was added, she's part of the genealogy of Jesus. The third one is Ruth, the Gentile Moabite who found favor in Boaz's eyes. And Boaz was actually the son of Rahab. The fourth one is Bathsheba, the woman with whom King David had an affair and had her husband killed. These four women are part of Jesus' genealogy. So God using unorthodox ways is nothing new. It's not new. It's not impressive in Scripture. In fact, it is a pattern. The only woman who has no nothing to say uh, anything about is Mary. And she's the fifth one that was mentioned. God uses and chooses outcasts, misfits, sinful Less than average people to accomplish his purposes. And he continues to do that today. This does not stop here. Jesus himself was not a flashy figure or an impressive person. He was a regular carpenter. He never owned a home or a dog. He never accomplished the American dream. He was persecuted. He was targeted unjustly. He was killed like a criminal. He was abandoned by his friends. He was betrayed by his friends. And when he was alive, the people that surrounded Jesus were prostitutes, tax collectors, crooks, and rebels. And this, is, this does not stop there. The gospel has always grown upside down. The places where the gospel has grown the most have been difficult places where the, the, where the church or the Christians were killed and persecuted. That's where the gospel grew the most. The gospel has always grown in difficulties among the least, the shepherds, the fishermen, the uneducated, and the outcasts. The Christian has always been rejected, persecuted, mistreated. Our faith is not flashy. Our faith is not powerful in human terms. Our faith grows and flourishes from the bottom up. And I want you to hear this again. God uses the lowest, the uncommon, the outcast, the sinner throughout Scripture. In fact, he resurrected and he chose to show himself first to the least people that were going to be trustworthy before a court, women. His disciples, which by the way were not only men, were women as well, we're not the first one. Peter was not the first one to see it. John was not the first one to see Jesus resurrected. They were the women. Everything about the Bible screams, I don't work the way you work. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 31. And Paul said it very plainly. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. 
Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is the way God acts. God continues to do that. God continues to choose and work through people like you and me. Regular nobodies with a bunch of defects and a bunch of difficulties so that he can take the glory because he's the only one who deserves it. And he chooses people to not only give them the message but also to show his glory. The shepherds were just doing their stuff, minding their own business, and then this angel appears, and the glory of God shines before them, and it just keeps getting better. They fear, and the angel says, do not fear. I bring you good news of joy for everyone, and then out of nowhere, this army of angels show up in the middle of the night. This is a pitch dark place in the mountains. And there's this amazing army, a choir of angels in front of these shepherds, shining in the glory of God, announcing them Jesus has been born. The Christ, the Lord and Messiah has been born. I don't even, I can't even imagine what these people saw. I've been in concerts, and I told you a few weeks ago that I won a trip for free to go to Broadway, and I saw three Broadway shows. And the first time I sat there, I could not believe those th- people were singing live. I told my wife, this has to be a recording. And then in the, in the intermission, I went to the front, and I remember seeing in the bottom of the stage, under the stage, a full band. And I was like, what? It sounded perfect. The lights were perfect. The voices were perfect. These people were dancing and jumping and doing all these things and still kept the pitch. I was like, wow, this, this is impressive. Well, this is nothing compared to what these people heard. These were angels. And God chose to display his glory, not to the high priest. Think about that. Why is it that the angels did not show themselves to the high priest? Why isn't Herod mentioned in this? Why is it that God did know, didn't announce this to the Pharisees or the Sadducees? These guys lived looking at the book. They memorized the book. They knew everything about the book. And God chose shepherds to tell them, I'm here. I came. John Calvin comments about this event, and he says, Though God had at his command many honorable and distinguished witnesses, he passed by them and chose shepherds, persons of humble rank and of no account among men. God chooses to display his glory and use the most uncommon ways to bring about his purposes. And that continues today. 
And this is important because the, the story of Christmas is not about a gift that God has given to nice people. The, the story of Christmas is not about a gift of a God who was keeping a list of everything you did right and wrong. And based on what you did right, he brought you a gift. That is not the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is about a God who's amazing and who sees us and sees us naked with all of our sins and with all of our issues and with all of the things that we don't want anyone else to see. And he chooses to give us the best gift ever, his own son. That is Christmas. Christmas is Jesus coming to messy people like you and I. And this is amazing because that is exactly the gospel. This is the good news of great joy to all people. Is that you don't have to get it together to be a Christian. In fact, if you get it together, if you already have it together, you don't even need, probably need to be a Christian. If you can keep the law, go ahead. Try. Go to heaven on your own merits. But if you can't like me, you need Jesus. And you are the perfect candidate to be a recipient of God's grace. God chooses to show his glory and to, and to save the least of people. And that's all of us. We are all sinners. We all, even, I don't care how, how well-dressed you are, how educated you are, how much money you have in your account, we are all short of everything. We are all less than what we need to be. We are all sinners. We are all separated from God. We are all selfish. We all deserve eternal separation from God in hell because we just can't do it on our own. That's the, the reality of human nature. But God has brought us the greatest display of his glory, the gospel, sending his own son to die for us. God sent his son, his son Jesus, to die for you and I. To pay for our sins. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for you and I. And he did not wait until we, until we get it together. No. In fact, Romans 5 says that while we were still sinners, God came to die for us. He loved us so much that he brought his son to die for our sins. He came and he lived the perfect life we were supposed to live. He came and he died on a cross for us to forgive our sins. And through his blood, we are now cleansed. Not because of what we do, but because of what he does. Because of his resurrection, he defeated death and sin in us because we cannot defeat our own sin. Jesus accomplishes everything for us. And if you're not a believer today, this is available to you. You don't have to get it together. You don't have to make your life right. You can come as you are, as whatever as you are, just like me and everyone else here, and say, I need you. I need help. And that is going to be the mark of a Christian. Daily repentance and daily supplication, God help me. But this message that God chose to give to nobodies and that he decided to show his glory with is something that we are to share as well. Listen to what the, what the shepherds did in, in, in verse 15 and 17. 
He says, when the angels went away from, the, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And verse 16 says, and they went with haste. And they made known the saying that he had been told concerning this child. Verse 18 says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. These guys acted. They were so overwhelmed by the privilege of God himself speaking to them that they acted in faith. They shared the message. They didn't just accept uh, uh, some sort of theory. No, they received the message and they acted in haste upon this message. And the idea that the shepherds hurry up, it's pretty impressive because it is believed that shepherds were slow. They normally didn't do things quickly. They were patient men accustomed to moving slowly through the pastures. They spent hours waiting for the sheep to eat and were patient with them. The fact that this man went in haste means something happened inside of them. They have faith, and faith includes action. They made other people known what they were told. Not only to Mary and Joseph, but to everyone there. The shepherds made the gospel known to everyone, the good news of joy to everyone. And we are called today, as those shepherds, to understand that we are just like them, nobodies, and that this privilege, this message is a privilege to us, and we're supposed to share with others. But the reality is that we will not share this message unless we see it as a privilege, not an obligation. Nobody told these people, go tell the other people. The angels did not say to the shepherds, go and tell everyone. They did not say that. They said it because they were so excited that they couldn't just, they couldn't, they couldn't stop. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ is not an obligation we have. It is a privilege we have. And we will not share this message unless we truly understand how unworthy of this message we really are. But if we understand the gospel, if we understand how amazing this truth is, we will do what the shepherds did. And we would share with others. And we would rejoice the way they rejoiced. This, this section ends by saying that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. As it had been told to them. They glorified and praised God. They understood who they were. They shared the gospel with everyone, and that brought joy to them. If you're a Christian, I want you to think of something. I want to ask you a question. Does the gospel bring joy to you? And if you're honest, and this is something that I, I constantly think of, most of my days go by without any joy. And it's sometimes because I am not even thinking of the gospel. I am not even thinking of who God is and who I am. And therefore, there's no joy in my life. And
And these shepherds are a perfect example of understanding who you are, understanding who God is, and how is it possible that we both get together through Jesus and what he's done for us, and that automatically brings joy to our hearts. Understanding who we are and the privilege we have to receive the gospel bring joy and worship to our hearts. Everything about the story of Christmas points to God's love for people with questionable reputations like you and I. Christmas is God coming to earth in humility, seeking to save people like you and I. We are normal people. And I want to invite us all to recognize today that we are not the people that we think sometimes we are. We need to be more open and, 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 and more uh, honest about who we are. Sometimes we, as Christians, give other people the impression that we're better than them. We want to display this Christianity that makes my life, my life perfect. We want to display a Christianity that makes you just the best person in the world. And maybe what this world really needs is people that are honest who are willing to say, I am just like a shepherd. I am faulty. I have a lot of issues. And maybe we can sympathize with the people around us and say, me too. I struggle with that too. It's hard for me to do this as well. Don't worry. I can help you. I know how it feels. But for so long, Christians have come in this, have, have, have preached the gospel from this high place of like, look at me, do what I do, come and Jesus will turn you into me, that people sometimes don't want to, don't, don't relate or don't want to see us, don't want to, don't want to be with us. We should be pointing to Jesus. We, we should be pointing Jesus. We should be pointing people to Jesus, not to us. God loved us and loves the people around us even before we, understands we, were, we understand we were sinners. And I want you to listen to me. You can stop pretending or pr stop trying because God loves you no matter what. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love more than he already loves you. He already loves you everything he's going to love you. You're not going to increase it or decrease it. He loves you already. He loved you before you even understood you were a sinner. That, that passage in Deuteronomy that, I, that I, I talk about actually ends by saying that God is the one who loved Israel. Well, let me read it to you. Let me read the whole thing again. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. And then verse 8 says, but it is because the Lord loves you. God loves you because he wants to love you. God loves us because he loves us, because he is love, not because we're smarter or because we're better. No. God is not going to love you more if you're a better father. God is not going to love you more if you're a better husband. 
God is not going to love you more if you're a better mom or if you're a better worker or if you are anything else. God doesn't love you based on what you do. God loves you based on Jesus and because he loves you. God loves you with all your stuff, your issues, and your defects. He wants to change you. He wants to sanctify you. But he is the one who wants to do it. And I want to invite us all to think about that and let that bring peace and hope and faith and mostly joy to us right now. Where else do you get a love that says, I love you because I love you? The closest I've ever experienced is now that I am a dad. And let me tell you, my love for my kids changes from time to time. I probably will never say that to them. First, because they're too, too little. And they will misinterpret it. But I swing from I love you to I hate you in two hours. Every day. And I know I'm, I'm being exaggerated. But there's nowhere else in this world where you get an I love you just because I love you. And not only that, there's nowhere else in this world where there is a person that knows everything about you and still says, I love you. Not in your job, not in your family, not your siblings, not your parents, not anyone around you, not even your spouse will tell you, I love you, knowing every little thought, every little thing you've done, every sin you've committed throughout your life. Nobody will tell you I love you if they know you 100%. There's only one person, one that tells you I love you because I love you and I know everything about you and that is God. That is Jesus. And that should bring us peace and joy because it is not conditioned, it is grace. So I want to invite us all to rejoice that God loves us. I want to invite us all to rejoice that we've been chosen by God. I want to invite us all to rejoice that God has chosen to come to us. We didn't ask him to come. I never prayed to be a Christian. I stumbled upon, well, that's what I thought. I stumbled upon Jesus, but the reality is that he was chasing me. And he's chasing you. And he wants you. And I pray that today we would leave this place just like the shepherds left, joyfully praising and glorifying God, not because our lives are better or because we already figured out how we're going to solve that issue that we have lingering, no, but because God is there with us and he loves us and he likes us and he's there for us. And then this message is something we should share with others as well. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your message. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the blessing that we have in having a God who places no obstacles or conditions for us to be loved. Lord, thank you because you showed your love for us and that while we were still sinners, you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. Lord, thank you because you didn't choose us because of 
who we were, our education, our abilities, our looks, or anything like that. Thank you because you loved us, because you loved us, because you are love. And Lord, I pray that today, this understanding of how much you love us and how much you care for us will bring joy to our hearts. Thank you. Thank you for the message, the good news of great joy to all people, especially people like us, average nobodies who need you desperately. Thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. And every week we...